tired this morning. Some of you are aware of the fact that my oldest son is working on a presidential campaign up in New Hampshire. And presidential campaigns live and die on polls, don't they? So when I talk to him during the week, you know, he's, he's telling me, well, we're up in this poll and down this way, and our internal surveys are showing this, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm, so I, I got motivated to take a survey. So we're going to do a survey this morning. But this is going to be very highly scientific, so you need to respond. So you've got two options with, in the survey. One is thumbs up, I want more of this, or thumbs down, I want less of this. All right? Let's practice. All right, everybody? Thumbs up, thumbs down. All right, here we go. First thing. A copy of my tax bill. Thumbs up, thumbs down. A lot of thumbs down there. Jeez, I'm not surprised. Candy. Thumbs up, thumbs down. All right, we're, we're on a roll. Nighttime cold medicine. Thumbs up, thumbs down. We got a couple, a couple of thumbs up. Those people need therapy. All right. Presents. Thumbs up, thumbs down. A lot of thumbs up. All right. Especially this time of year. Athlete's foot spray. It depends on whether or not you have it, right? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Money. Thumbs up. One more of it. Less of it. All right. I think we, we, we have a lot of unanimity about those. You know, um, as, as, as frivolous as my survey may be, it, indi- it, it really does reveal a dynamic that we deal with every day, isn't it? We walk through every day saying, I'd love to have more of this. I'd love to have less of this. Fewer peas, more ice cream, right? You know, and, and this time of year... That whole dynamic just gets kind of ramped up a little bit, doesn't it? It's like, it's like our, our desire of wanting more of this and less of that kind of goes like on a Red Bull rush when we get into Christmas, isn't it? And everybody's saying, well, what do you want for Christmas? It's almost like forcing you to think about what do I want more of or what do I, what do I want that I don't have? You know, you, you, can, you can tell your kids you need to sit down and write out all the chores you've got to do today and you'll just talk to them. You're blue in the face until they ever sit down and do that. But you ask them to sit down and write their Christmas list. I mean, they're off to the table. Where's the pens? You know, and they want to write a list. You know, we're constantly asking, what do I want more of? Now, in some ways, that's probably not a bad thing. It actually is probably a wise thing to think of. What do I want more of in my life? What do I want less of in my life? But when you and I translate that to where we're just thinking more of the stuff we want into our lives, we can, we can switch kind of into this gear where, where we begin to define our happiness, our joy, whether we're really content in life, based upon how much stuff we have. And when you and I do that, we shift into what I would call consumerism or materialism. The way I feel about life is based upon how much stuff I got, how much stuff I have. And, and Christmas is one of those times when we face that challenge incredibly. You know, because your kids are going to go back to school on January 2nd or January 3rd, and they're going to be talking to all their friends, and they're going to be saying, well, what did you get for Christmas? You know, and your kid's going to be saying, well, I got some new underwear, you know, and the other kid's going to be saying, well, I got a new Game Boy 360, you know, we act, you know, and they're going to like, oh, my, my gift stinks, you know, and, 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 and we do that all the time. We begin to develop the sense of, do I, do I like life? Do I feel good about what's going on? And, and I got to tell you, when you and I get to a place where we are defining our happiness, our joy, how content we are, whether we think our life is headed in the right direction based upon how much stuff we have, based on our possessions, Rather, what we're doing is we're putting up additional walls to actually experiencing what is the real gift of Christmas, which is the presence of God in our lives. And, and when you and I are doing that, what, what we're really doing is we're just ripping the heart and the soul out of the power of the Christmas event, which is that God became one of us. He became, he was rich, became poor, that we might have the riches of God in him. It's, it's a challenge we go through all the time. It's a, it's a major challenge for us. And so... 
As a part of our journey here in the Advent conspiracy, we've we really just kind of been asking some questions of what do we, you and I really need to do to kind of tap into the dynamics that were intended to reverberate from the Christmas event. Because Christmas is, is the beginning of God's long laid out plan to change the world through His Son. And Christmas is designed to change the world, and it starts by changing us. And so last week we, we looked at part of the way of kind of, kind of grabbing Christmas and pulling it back from all the trimmings that go with it, and actually tapping into the power of God to change lives. We, we saw last week we really need to worship God fully. Every single character that was a part of the original Christmas experience worshipped God, almost involuntarily. It was a knee-jerk reaction. And we can, we can look through and see the ways that we need to worship fully. Today, we need to look at a different dynamic. And as you can see on our screen, it's spend less, give more. But let, let me just tell you where this, the genesis of this conversation starts today. Now, Jesus was enfleshed. He was incarnated. The Son of God, the very person of God, took on human skin and bone and tissue and blood and nerves and all those kinds of things. He, he was enfleshed in the person of Jesus Christ. And he was born into a family of very humble means. Now, was that on purpose or was it just a coincidence? I mean, God could have chose anybody on the planet. Well, technically not because he had given some promises that, you know, it had to be of the house of David and all these kinds of things. So it was pretty much going to be a Jewish person or whatever, but he had lots of options. And he could have, in his sovereignty, chosen for Joseph to be wicked wealthy. He could have had it where Mary could have inherited a fortune. I mean, he had all kinds of options. Was it just an accident that Jesus landed up as the child of parents who had pretty humble means. Now, it's an interesting question to ask. Maybe we can't give a definitive answer. But, but let me give you what my instincts tell me. I don't think it was an accident. I think it was on purpose. Even though Jesus was the divine, infinite, perfect, all-powerful God, somehow or another, still in the small body of Jesus, he needed to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with all men, right? He, need, he needed to grow up. The Scripture doesn't back off telling us that it's hard for the wealthy to be godly. Never ceases to tell us that. You know, Jesus said, you know, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's hard for a wealthy guy to be, be godly, you know? I mean, Jesus warned his disciples, don't look at your life and evaluate it based on your possessions because your life is more than what you want. It's difficult for the wealthy to be godly. Think Jesus needed to be godly to be the perfect sacrifice? So God put him in an environment where there were fewer distractions to godliness. He put him into humble means. I want to suggest to you this morning that we need to give that some thought if we're going to really recover the power, the life-changing power that God released in America. Because, you see, God made a choice, and he put Jesus in a family of humble means. But guess what? That, that ship has already sailed for all of us. If you're in the United States, if you're but all of the poorest of the poor in the United States, you are in the top 5% wealthy people in the world. Even if you're living in the United States and your annual household income is only like thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a year, you're in the top 5% of wealth in the, in, the, in the whole world. You're already rich. So we can't go back and replay the tapes and say, God, you know, put me in Bangladesh with nothing. We, we don't have that option. So we've got to live with this challenge. So part of what I want to do today is we think about this issue of, of how it is that we can tap into this life-changing power of God that's available to us through Jesus Christ. What I want to do is I want to take the kind of the, the perfect-looking, you know, apple of stuff. You know, you go into a grocery store, they always got the apples buffed up, and they look, they got lights on them so they shine just right so you'll pick them out. I want to take that apple and I want to put a few beautiful bruises in it you know maybe put some things in there that look like wormholes and you know that kind of stuff and make it a lot less appetizing for you 
And I want to do that by looking at what, I, what probably is the weirdest Advent passage that's ever been used. I want to look at Ecclesi- uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. A few years ago, there was a book written about the prayer of Jabez. How many of you read that book? came out, the prayer of Jabez. Remember from First Chronicles 4? You know, Jabez prays, God, expand my borders and keep me from all harm so that I won't harm anybody else, right? Famous prayer. Prayer we're going to read right now. If somebody wrote a book on it, say if I was to write a book on it, we'd sell two copies. The one I bought and the one my mother would buy because she's my mother. Nobody else would buy this book because I want you to see this prayer. Guy's name is Agor, not Igor, but Agor. Verse 7, 558, if you're using one of our pew Bibles. He says, this is my prayer of God. Two things I've asked of you, God. Don't deny them to me before I die. In other words, while I'm living, answer this prayer in my life. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. We're okay with that prayer request. God, make me an honest, upright, good guy. I want to be a good fellow. Then he says, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. So his second prayer is, God, all I want in my life is enough to cover the basics. That's all I want. Here are my two prayers. Don't let me be a dishonest guy. I want to be a good fella, honest, upright. Secondly, just give me the basics. We don't have too much trouble with the, the poverty side, do we? You know, we, we could pray the poverty side pretty easily. You know, God, I don't want to be so poor that I don't know where my next meal is coming. I don't know where my meals are coming for the next week. And I don't want to get to a place where I'm so hungry that even though I want to be a good fella, when I see that blueberry pie in the window of my neighbor cooling off, I just can't help taking it, stealing it, because I'm so hungry I feel like I'm going to die. I don't want to go there, Lord. Keep me away from that. But the other prayer is, God, don't give me more than I need. How many times have you prayed that prayer? I'll tell you how many times I've prayed that prayer. Like, zip. You know? You know, I was was telling George between services. I mean, I've read over this passage before, but but it's never captivated my attention before. One of my challenges is used to memorize this prayer. Take these three verses and just memorize it. Now, I think as we look at why he says, Lord, don't give me much. Don't give me too much. We could take some of the luster, if you will, some of the appeal off of, of materialism or consumerism or, or being so enamored with the stuff that we have in our lives. And, and one of the things he tells us is that when, when you and I get too much, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not starving, but when you and I get beyond the place where we just have enough for the basics, he says we, get to, we can get to a place where we, we start to develop a level of arrogance towards God. Isn't, isn't that what he says in, in verse 9? He says, otherwise, if I have too much wealth, Otherwise, I might say to you, I might have too much and, and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Well, you know, how, how, does, how does that dynamic work? You know, really what, what happens there is that we get more and more stuff. It's not just a clean bed, warm house, dry kind of thing. But now it's, it's a big house, fancy, etc. And we drive towards that. When we get to a certain place, we, we accumulate more stuff. We say, you know what? Even if I'm not close to God, I can be happy because I got lots of stuff. And we develop a level of spiritual arrogance. So I don't really need God to be happy. Now, you want to see this at work in the scriptures. Go back over to Luke 12. And Jesus tells, after warning his disciples to say, hey, listen, life is more than what you own. He says, let me tell you a parable. He says, there's this rich guy. He's a really good farmer. His fields are producing bumper crops. So much so that when he pulls it in and he puts it in his barn, he's got stu- his barns aren't big enough. He says, so guess what the rich guy decides? He says, I'll know what I'll do. I'll tear down the barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then when they're full, I'll be able to sit back and say, you know what? I'm all set for many years. I can just eat, drink, and be merry. What he's really saying is, you know what? If I build bigger barns and I accumulate enough stuff, 
then even if God never blesses me again with a good harvest, I got enough to be happy. That's called spiritual arrogance. And there's, there's a lot of us that are that can get drawn into this, le- this spiritual arrogance because we want to accumulate just more stuff so we can say, you know what, my happiness is secured but what I have in my temporal possessions. No, I say, oh, not me. You know, and, and I listen, I'm not trying to be a bah humbug and I'm not trying to, to bash anybody, whatever. This is a dynamic that all of us struggle with. Because, you know, right now, we wouldn't have enough room in the service if all the people who had connected with Hope Chapel over its first 10 years, who have stopped worshiping with us just because they're too busy with the, the stuff of life to make any time for God on a Sunday morning. You know, they, they, it's, it's, it's like they, they, they work so hard Monday through Saturday to get enough stuff so they can live like they want to that they don't have any t- it's just sunday's my day just to check out and they have no time for god i'd call that spiritual arrogance they tell you they're still believers i tell you they're spiritually arrogant or some of us we get to a place where you show you know i don't have enough stuff so i've got to i've got to work another job and i won't i can't be there on sundays or i can't serve on a team or i can't be a part of a life group because i just got too much going on because i got to earn enough to keep everybody happy. That's, that's spiritual arrogance. He says, you know what? Lord, don't give me too much. Because I don't want to be spiritually arrogant. I, I don't want to ever get to a place where I can sense in my own heart, I can be happy even if I don't have God close by. Here's another reason he gives. It's just flowing out of the same kind of thoughts. He says, you know, if, 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 you, if you give me too much wealth, and I have too much, you know, he says, what's going to happen is what I own is going to distract me. Just, just turn back... One book, one book closer to the New Testament. Just turn to your right in your Bible, just a little bit to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Incredible, incredible single verse in chapter 5 of verse, verse 12. Listen, listen to what he says here. The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats a little or whether he eats much. But the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Now, let that sink in for a moment. He's saying the guy who's got a lot of stuff, he gets no sleep. He's worried about everything. You know, man, what am I going to do? I got to get that. I got to fix this. I got to do that. I got to pay for this. I got to manage that. I got to take advantage of this. And, and it's just, he's just totally distracted all the time. And when he's worried, he's just worried all the time. You know, my, my parents for a long time owned an apartment house. Great deal. Went up incredibly in value, paid them a lot of money. It was always a distraction. You know, it was always at the exact wrong time when somebody's toilet wouldn't flush, you know? Or it was just always a distraction of the, the guy who moved out and took the refrigerator and the oven with him because he thought that they were his even though they were in the apartment before he got there. It was just always something, right? Most of the stuff that you and I fret about is stuff that if we, they weren't in our lives, it wouldn't really matter very much. But it just consumes our thoughts all the time. And with that, we lie awake at night saying, how am I going to manage this? I got this big house with this huge mortgage, and I'm not getting one. And, and we just get, we get stressed. It's better off just to be a simple worker who maybe he's not making enough really to stuff himself at the end of the day, but he's making enough to get by. But when he lies down, man, he's just, he's just ready to go to sleep because he's got nothing to worry about. You know, everything we own owns a piece of us, doesn't it? And the more we own, the more it takes out of us. You know, I, I, I use this illustration for myself. When I was in Texas, I was going to seminary in Texas, and one of the jobs I did to get myself through school was on the side I would work on occasion for this other student that I knew who ran a small landscaping business. Really what he did was he cut grass. That's what we did. Now, up here in Massachusetts, people got big yards, right? So when you see a landscaping group out, I mean, they're, they got the truck, and they're pulling along behind it, this huge trailer. It's got the, you know, the zero, you know, zero radius turn, you know, tractors and all this fancy stuff on it. Because they can't take three hours to cut a, cut a big yard with a push mower. Texas, all you needed for a landscape business was two, two push mowers, one weed whacker, one blower. That's all you needed. Because everybody's yards were teeny. I mean, even with just a, a push mower, you could cut their lawn in 20 minutes. You know? Small, 
less demanding. Bigger, takes more time, right? Every time I go out to snowblow and I got two driveways, I'm like, why did they build this house this way? And then I say to myself, why did I buy it this way, you know? I mean, it just, it takes more out of you. Everything we own takes a bite out of us. You can see this, this dynamic of, of being distracted by what we have. You can see it really kind of elevate to the surface in the Apostle Paul. Where he says, you know what, I wish a lot more of you were like me. He says, I know, you know, family's good. You know, some of you can't. You know, he said, but I got, I got no family. And I'm 100% available to the Lord. I got, I got no distractions. It's powerful stuff. One of the reasons why you and I miss out on the wave of this life-changing power that is just so evident to us in the Christmas message that God has come to be with us is that every time we place our happiness on what we own, what we possess, we put up more barriers to really enjoying the presence of God in our lives. And Jesus came <coughs> to be present with us. That's why they called him the Emmanuel, God with us. So I got a couple of challenges for us related to the Advent conspiracy for today. One of those, I want to challenge you, I want to challenge myself, just to have enough guts to really pray the prayer of Agor and mean it. God, don't give me too little, and God, don't give me too much. Give me just what I need. Can I challenge you to pray that prayer and mean it. I challenge myself to pray that prayer and mean it. Because if we're not ready to pray that prayer, the life change isn't really ever going to happen. Secondly, let me challenge you to spend less this Christmas. I know the kids are groaning like, oh, no. Why couldn't we miss today, you know? You know, they're rooting for that high-ticket item, you know? <clears throat> I tell you, the older they get, the more expensive they get. And you guys don't know how that goes. And I'm not trying to be a bah humbug, you know? You know, one of my love languages is gift giving. So I'm going to give gifts. Just, just give maybe a few, just, just a few, just just. Fewer gifts, you know? I'm trying to spit that out there somewhere, you know? Either, or either that or give stuff that's just a little less expensive. But make an intentional effort to say, I'm not going to define Christmas by what I give or by what I get. And do that by just spending a little less. Even maybe giving some of your, your, your family members and friends freedom to say, you know what, don't give me anything. Just make a donation to a food pantry in my name. Or give money to the American Bible Society so they can place Bibles or send them overseas. Just, just free things up a little bit. Third, give more. And particularly my challenge is to give more of yourself. You know what God really did in Christmas was he gave us himself. He didn't give us a possession. He gave us a presence. Give the gift of yourself this Christmas throughout the year. I mean, one of our emphases here at Hope Chapel as we're moving through this year is, is a part of our Add One emphasis, and you've been seeing that kind of reflected in our, in our graphic for the sermon series, is that we're trying to make every effort to add to our faith as a church the things that God always uses to change the world. Part of that is, is to be engaged in, in things that change our lives. We call that discipleship. And we've been emphasizing that through Attend One. Be a part of a, a worship experience on a weekly basis. Be a part of a small group Bible study in some fashion or another on a weekly basis. But we've also been emphasizing the idea of, of serving. God always uses the service of his people to change the world. Give yourself to God and, 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 and give yourself away, if you will, this year. Give the gift of presence by volunteering. I mean, if you're not hearing this from the ministries that you're connected with at Hope Chapel, whether it's your life group or whether it's the cleaning crew that you're on or the choir that you sing of, if you, they're not encouraging you to, to, to attend one and to serve one and to reach one in the name of Christ, ask them why not. Because that's what the heart and soul of our church is all about. That's, that's why we talk about making the right kind of disciples. The kinds of disciples that God has really transformed that know the depth of Christmas joy, as well as know how to give it away. 
Maybe you could also just give yourself away just in a little different fashion. I call, call this, and it's not original with me, give gifts with strings attached. You know, buy a bag of Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks coffee and put a string on it and, and give, it, give it to somebody and say, the string that comes with this gift is you've got to drink at least one cup of coffee with me from this bag. So you spend some time with them. Or buy somebody some tickets to the theater and say, well, the string attached to is I got the seats right next to you. Why don't we go together that night? But give, the, you know, give, give those kinds of things. The other is, is just to give to God's work. Give to kingdom work. You know, there's all kinds of wonderful things you can do. You can give to the Lottie Moon offering for international missions. Give generously. Over half of what they need on a regular basis to fund those missionaries to serve throughout the year in over 100 countries in the world comes through this offering. Give, give generously. Or give to something else that God's placed on your heart. Maybe some of you are, would like to give to one of the pregnancy centers that we support. Whether it's First Concern over here in Clinton or the Compassion Pregnancy Center down in, in Worcester who are working with these young moms or who are, are struggling with the decisions literally of life and death. Or they're trying to recover from a decision they've made and, and they haven't been able to experience God's grace for it. <coughs> or maybe you'd like to give towards this good rain 2012 effort. You know, some of you know that, that we've had an ongoing relationship with Rwanda and much of that has been focused through the microseed loans that we do and with that helping to sponsor or scholarship kids to school who are the children of the recipients of these small business loans. G- give towards that. Or maybe you'd like to give towards the project that's flown out of that as we try to work with pastors. You know, again, I'm, I'm planning to go back in February for a couple of weeks and do some more teaching. And we're trying, to, we're trying to gather enough money right now for what I've called a Rwandan tabernacle. You know, we're trying to buy them a large meeting tent that can seat like 300 to 400 people that they, you can use to start churches all across Rwanda year after year after year. Their climate over there allows them to meet in that kind of a facility 365 days a year. Their biggest obstacle to reaching people and growing is just not having the space to meet. For $7,000, we can buy a tent that they can use for more than a decade to plant churches all across their region. And, you know, I've already found somebody say, I will match dollar for dollar every gift that's made to that, up to $3,500. But just find something and give to it. Just get the focus on God in some way or another in the way that you give gifts this year. Maybe simply just inviting somebody to join you for a service and have a chance to share your faith with them over a sandwich when you get done. You know, when we think about what God has done in Christmas, God gave us himself. Jesus, who who was a son of God, sat at the right hand of the Father, had all of the riches of the universe at his disposal, made himself poor, symbolized by lying in a manger so they could give us the gift of his presence. And when he left this planet, he wanted to make sure that we would never forget that that is the gift of Christmas. And so on the last night that he was on the planet with his disciples, he, gave, he instituted a meal that we're supposed to partake of that reminds us of the gift of himself. And, and as I read Matthew's account, I want you to notice the emphasis on the, pronoun, the, the pronouns. I think that's the right English word. As Jesus talks about the gift of himself for his disciples. In Matthew 26, it reads, As as they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave to the disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. 